This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello and welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 25. Um, thank you for joining here today. We go live every Wednesday morning U.S. time on YouTube, as well as all the audio podcast platforms like Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, etc. Uh, excited to have a, a great show for you today. But first, uh, Kyla Cheatham, thanks for joining the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Parisa is still on holiday, so it's just you and I today, which is which is great, which is good. We have a lot to cover, so it's just going to be down to you and I trying to unpack a lot of the stuff that we have to cover here today. So thanks everyone for being here. We've we've got a great show. Um, three main segments as usual um, that we'll we'll cover today. Later in the show, our special guest is going to be Brad Feeks from a company called Estes Group, and we're going to talk about cloud and managed services and some of the different nuances of making the transition to the cloud. And we're going to go pretty deep into some technical stuff uh, on that as far as just understanding all the different types of cloud solutions and all the nuances of what it takes to move your applications and data and integration to the cloud. And so we figured it'd be great to have a cloud expert on the show to help us through that conversation. So that's that's coming up later today in this episode. And then after that, later, even further into the episode, we are going to talk a bit about our top 10 ERP systems for 2022, uh, which is based on a video and ranking that we just launched here just uh, a couple days ago. So we're going to talk a little bit about that later in the show. So be sure to stick around until the third segment where we'll talk about those top 10 rankings of ERP systems that you should be considering for 2022. But before we get to that, um, let's start off this first segment by talking about some some very relevant and timely news involving the U.S. government and cloud, speaking of cloud, uh, and, and their transition to the cloud. And, and Kyler, maybe you could help us unpack this, this recent headline story that relates to the cloud. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a very significant and relevant to our conversation today. Um, But the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure deal with Microsoft, which has been tied up in the courts for a couple years now, finally fell through. Um, So this deal was a cloud computing contract, and it was kind of a winner-takes-all scenario, which was challenged by other tech giants like Oracle and IBM. And the reason this is significant as it's a huge setback for the U.S. military, and it's kind of well known that the U.S. here leads in things like weapons development, surveillance surveillance technology, but it has really lagged the private sector in the computing realm. Um, So when we look at this, it, it really showcases the gap that we have in cloud technology just being private sector when we have it you know on our phones right in front of us at all times but it seems as though the defense department um, because of this erp failure um, is is really lagging behind our overall um, 
our overall infrastructure when it comes to the ERP cloud, which I think is something just the cloud in general that we'll be talking today with you and Brad um, and more. And something significant that I learned from this article is that um, $700 billion a year in taxpayer funding goes to ensure that we have the most advanced capabilities in the world uh, and how important that is to keep up with other world powers such as China um, and the artificial intelligence arms race that we're involved in with them. So I thought maybe you would be a great option to kind of take us through understanding this, this type of monopoly. So basically we had a few different players here. We had the Defense Department that decided to go with Microsoft for their cloud computing contract, that winner takes all like we talked about. And then we had Oracle, IBM, and specifically Amazon, which is known for being kind of the best of breed in that type of cloud computing industry. Um, challenge that to say it would be an unfair monopoly. So my question for you is, is that unfair? Or how, how can you kind of take us through in, in shaving off all the politics, right? Um, in the Jeff Bezos, Trump kind of feud, right? Is that actually an unfair monopoly? Or building on that, is that setting them up for failure because they don't have access to these other types of systems and creating that customization. So I thought it might kind of pick your brain as the expert there. Yeah, it's a great, it's a, that's a really interesting question. I guess I have a, a question for you before I answer that, just so I fully understand it. What exactly, what exactly were they fighting about in core? Was it the fact that it was a, the whole winner take all concept and being somewhat of a monopoly that is what was in court? Yes. And yep. the court so rules they that on behalf of, Amazon saying that not only did they have no option in the winner takes all, but because of the bias of President Trump and the influence that he had over that, um, they felt like they weren't given a fair shot at the bid. Um, and then Oracle and IBM just said, you know, we should be allowed to kind of court out these different functionalities and bid for these different parts of it, too. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I, I guess before I answer your question, it, it's super interesting how these massive cloud contracts are making the news lately. Not just this one, but but recently we did a video about uh, Google and how they shifted their um, all of their cloud applications from, I think it was from Oracle to SAP um, because, and, and the reason was, is because, and I hope I have this right, I might have it inverted, but I'm 92% sure this is right that if, if it's not, it's the other way around, but I, I'm pretty sure that what they had done is they moved from uh, SAP or I'm sorry, Oracle to SAP because SAP would allow them to host SAP in uh, the Google cloud versus Oracle, which required them to, which kind of limited where they could host their solution. Um, so th that was really, I thought that was a pretty interesting decision or, or change in direction for a massive company like Google. And so back to your question about this winner takes all and is it fair? Um, I don't know. I guess I have mixed feelings on the fairness of it. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think in this case, obviously there was bias. I mean, I think, you know, being in the U.S. where we're based and maybe even some of the international audiences heard about, you know, Trump and Jeff Bezos and their dislike for one another and their different political views, whether or not they should, that should affect a business decision. I would argue probably not. But I think the the bigger uh, takeaway or the bigger lesson is maybe not so much is it is it right or wrong or should it be allowed, but more should 
any organization that's moving to a cloud solution, should they put all their eggs in one basket, especially a massive organization like, you know, the United States Pentagon. Um, and this is true for, you know, even Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies, you know, larger organizations. The question, you know, kind of evolves or maybe even widens a little bit beyond that from, you know, should should a large organization put all of their applications in the same cloud provider? But even further, you know, taking a step further, should should a large organization invest all of their applications with one vendor? Should they, you know, give all of the services contract to one big system integrator? And it's not so much a matter of is it right or wrong or is it should it be legal or not? I don't know that that's, you know, it's not necessarily my expertise, but what I argue, and I, I actually did a, a video on this recently about ethics. Uh, I did a video just last week about ethics in digital transformation and some of the ethical dilemmas that organizations face. And I think one of the ethical dilemmas is that you have, which is also a, just a business sense sort of dilemma, is you know when you put all your eggs in one basket, you're, you're inherently giving up a certain amount of control. And you may think you're getting all the leverage because you're making such a big spend, and you're you know you're so important to that particular vendor. But what ends up happening is they now own you in some ways. They own your applications, they own your data, they own your you know where things are hosted. So you're putting it all there, and yes, they're making money off you, but they own it. They decide how things get done, and they, you know, you, you don't have the flexibility. Whereas if you dissolve some of that, you know, sort of decentralize some of that procurement and and multi, you know diversify, for lack of a better word, you can create some healthy competition. You can diversify in case something goes wrong with one of those vendors, or one of the vendors turns out not to be a good fit. It's not nearly as disruptive if you have to make a change. So I think that's maybe the the bigger picture question, not only because I can't fully answer your initial question, but also because I think the average organization is probably more concerned with what does that mean to us and what should we do about it? So I think that's the way to look at it is like, what is it, how does it help you or hurt you as an organization? And I, I would argue that it may sound good in theory, but putting all your eggs in one basket can more often than not hurt you in the net, as a net result. Definitely. And that that makes so much sense in in going through kind of that due diligence to understand the different vendors and the different options you have. When it comes to, do you know much about the um, Microsoft versus Amazon when it comes to actually their cloud functionality? Um, I did learn in researching a lot of this that um, Amazon actually has the highest clearance, security clearance, which was a big deciding factor of why they should be selected, even though Microsoft is working on that when it comes to actual government entities. But I wondered if you um, knew anything about kind of their uh, capabilities in that space. Yeah, I mean, I know, I mean, I guess what I know is that what you said, which is uh, Microsoft Azure and then uh, Amazon Web Service or AWS, and now Google, those seem to be the, the big three providers. Um, with security, I, I know uh, Google, there's some, I believe there's some security concerns with Google just because it's more of an open platform. Um, but I honestly don't know as far as security strengths and weaknesses or who's better at different, uh, you know, components of of security or, or cloud uh, pieces. I don't know that there's a material or I don't know of a material difference between Amazon and Microsoft and maybe some listening yeah. might have strong opinions, but that's part of what I want to talk to Brad about later is just, full, first of all, understanding what, what is it you have to consider? Because, you know, on the surface, one of the questions I have for Brad later is, you know, on the surface, you think, okay, I just need someone that can put up, stand up some servers and put my applications and data in the cloud. 
but I think it's a lot more complicated than that. And I'm by no means a cloud expert, which is why I'm excited to have to have yeah. Brad on the show so they can further unpack that and further understand what those different nuances are. So I can't really answer that question for you in an, any sort of intelligent way, unfortunately. No worries. Well, maybe our, our audience will have some thoughts on it um, and they'll go ahead and give it to a, give a, give us some feedback in the um, comments. But um, one thing I also found really interesting, it was a, a lot of this debate in the lawsuit started in 2018 into 2019. Um, and now the project, because technology has progressed, they were going with the single cloud approach, which has really been the core of this overall process and project. Um, and now they're finding that they might need more of a multi-cloud um, integration. And I'm, I'm just wondering on your expertise and again, you know, baseline on the cloud side, and this might be something we can kind of dive into with Brad, but when we talk about single versus multi-cloud approach, have you ever seen a project kind of evolve over time to need those different um, capabilities? Yeah, I mean, I've seen uh, more from a diversification perspective, you know, multi-cloud environments where you might have different cloud providers or, or at the very least different uh, instances stood up in different locations because you know, if you've got a cloud provider that has, you know, locations in, you know, the southeastern United States, for example, which is probably a terrible place to put uh, many cloud uh, solutions because of the hurricanes and stuff down there and some of the physical threats to the infrastructure. But let's just say you had some down there and you had some risk. Um, I've seen other organizations that will say we also want to have a, another instance of the cloud somewhere else, you know, just to diversify. Now, what you ideally would want to do is have, you know, any cloud provider you might engage with who would have a diversified geographic uh, footprint so that if something were to happen, there'd be enough redundancy, you know, throughout the world. And, and it's not just physical either. You've also got geopolitical stuff you've got to worry about and um, data. You know, sometimes there's there could be uh, security issues with a lot of uh militaries throughout the world, a lot of militaries and a lot of governments throughout the world will require require that data resides in, in certain locations or will will preclude you from hosting data in certain countries. So, you know, for example, uh, in the United States, you know, with tensions between the U.S. and China, the government isn't going to be hosting data in a, in a, a Chinese um, data center or, or a cloud provider. Um, it's, it, I, I don't know if it's illegal or not, but that's generally not what they do just because there's, there's tension between the U.S. and Chinese governments right now. And so, you know, that, and that's just one example, a couple examples, but in general, I've seen that be reason as a way to mitigate risk. As far as uh, the integration points and whether or not there's advantages more from a architecture perspective, that's something that I want to ask Brad about too, because I don't know um, if there's any, any specific uh, benefit there, but I think it's more, I think of it more from a risk and a diversification perspective. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and, you know, huge organizations and understanding how to have even a flexible project pro project strategy, excuse me, um, is so important when it comes to these types of implementations as they can take years, obviously. Um, so last question on this before we kind of go um, over to Brad and, and um ask him more kind of granular um, cloud questions is a lot of people see this as a win for Microsoft, even though they lost the actual contract and, um, but they see it as now they actually are a viable alternative to Amazon. Um, so I wanted to get your opinion on that because there seems to be two schools of thought around that. Um, 
to see like just the overall credibility and and um, viability of Microsoft's product in winning this. Do you think that is a huge win for them? Yeah, I think they they've proven that they can be in the same category, you know, as is uh, Amazon and and I know plenty of people in the industry that would say they've they've always been you know right up there with AWS, but maybe people just don't think of it in that way because I think you know a lot of it is perception because you. I know when I've watched a lot of sporting events or um, anything that involves data, you'll see like powered by Amazon Web Services, they'll show you some statistics, you know, some sort of statistics from the game or probability of who's going to win based on all the data they're gathering for that particular game you're watching. And it'll be sponsored by Amazon Web Services. So I think Amazon probably does a better job of marketing their their cloud solution. And they've certainly built a strong competency. I, I, think, um, I think I read that that's their most profitable I could be wrong on this. You're going to want to check me on this, but they, if it's not the most, it's one of the most profitable profitable parts of their business now, which is really interesting because that's not at all how they started. But they've just amassed so much data and have been such a cloud provider just for their own infrastructure that they've been able to extend that competency to their other organizations. But you know, at the same time, Microsoft has been doing this a long time too. And I think they've been sort of flying under the radar, not you know as much marketing behind it necessarily, although it's very well known as a, as a very credible provider. And then, like I said, now even Google is providing, um, you know, a lot of cloud services for some pretty, pretty large organizations throughout the world. So the good news is you have options, whether or not, you know, one's better than the other. I couldn't tell you. It just depends on what your needs are. But I think those are three really good options. And what I want to dive into with Brad is, do you have to go with one of those three options? That's what I'm even more fascinated by is, are there other second or third tier, smaller providers that could give you better service, better solution, more attention, whatever the case may be? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's so important, especially for just normal size companies, right? It can be very intimidating to work with these kind of titans of the overall industry. So excited to hear from them. Just so our audience knows, we do have the Google SAP migration blog up on our website. As Eric said, we, we have um, some videos on it too. So please feel free to go ahead and and check those out if you're interested in kind of more of this current events when it comes to the big tech industry and cloud. Yeah, and, and you, you made a great uh, suggestion earlier that I'll repeat to the audience is if you're watching this on YouTube or another platform where you can leave comments, just let us know if you have a strong opinion or strong perception of Google, AWS, uh, Amazon, and uh, um, Microsoft Azure. You know, if you have any strong opinions or thoughts, I'd love to hear your comments. So be sure to leave those comments if you've got them. So I'd be curious to hear the, the audience feedback on that. Yeah, absolutely. Or or if you have um, specific questions, we're super active in our social listening to make sure that we're, you know, tailoring our content to what our audience wants to hear. So we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and in the meantime, we're I'm excited to have Brad on. We're going to bring him on right after a quick break. We'll bring on Brad Fix from Estes group, I almost said Estes Park, but they're based out of Estes Park, Colorado, which is a small little mountain town outside of Colorado, for those that don't know that. Uh, but it's, it's called Estes Group. Uh, they're a managed services provider, and he's a cloud and managed service expert. So I'm going to ask him a lot more detailed questions. I think they'll answer some of these questions you, you brought up, Kyler. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. 
With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham, and we are talking so far in this episode about cloud solutions. And we talked a little bit about the U.S. Pentagon and how they had recently won a lawsuit involving cloud solutions. And we primarily talked about the really big cloud providers. And what I wanted to do, and the reason I wanted to have Brad on the show, was to talk more about just cloud in general but also understand what your options are when it comes to cloud solutions, because there's some really big behemoths out there that everyone knows of, but there's also a lot of really good second and third tier uh, providers that can be viable options as well. So we wanna just really talk about what the options are and just some of the things you should be thinking about as you're evaluating potential cloud providers. So I'm excited to bring Brad on the show, but Brad, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Eric, great to be here. Absolutely. So. I guess just to start, maybe uh, give us a quick intro. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about Estes Group, if you don't mind. Sure, you bet. So Estes Group, we've been around going on 20 years now, uh, headquartered out of Colorado with kind of a America-wide footprint. Uh, we started off focusing generally on ERP implementation and that whole kind of space inside of there. And as we got deeper into it, we moved more and more towards what you might call the managed services side of the IT platform, uh, understanding the need that, uh, ERP implementations have a real technology component to them and that customers were coming to us not only looking for best practices in terms of how to get MRP running, but also in terms of how to set up and install an application successfully, how to deploy it successfully. And as the cloud has continued to grow, we found ourselves moving into the area of cloud deployment as it relates to ERP. And that's really become kind of an area for us that's become especially intriguing. Now, uh, myself, I've been with the Estes Group now for eight years and have kind of lived through that transformation internally coming from the customer field in the ERP community and working into now more uh, bigger concern towards the managed services and the cloud deployment aspect of the business. Great, great. Yeah, it's a, it's a great area to be in. That, that's, that definitely is where the, the industry and the needle is moving is, is much more toward the cloud than, than on-premise recently. Um, yeah, so it really is. I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. I didn't want to interrupt oh, you there. I just, well, I was just finding that the need uh, for that idea of going beyond our existing parameters, our existing network network uh, boundaries has really been a, a subject that customers are coming to us to understand more and more as their own IT staff seems to be less and less uh, interested in maintaining those old boxes. Yeah, and it's an opportunity for organizations to outsource you know, the, the whole IT support function and getting out of the business of software development and software maintenance mm -hmm. and all that good stuff and letting the experts take care of that while they, while they run their businesses. Right. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I guess to start, maybe just to set some context, uh, maybe help us understand, you know, what the cloud is. Cause I think, you know, conceptually, I think a lot of us understand just generally the cloud is offsite, someone else handling our technology, the data and everything 
software data infrastructure. It's all out there in the cloud versus on-premise where we install it. We've got the servers here on site. So I think conceptually at a really high level, most of us understand that differentiation, but there's a lot more to it. And just chatting with you earlier this week to prepare for this discussion, you know, you were, you actually helped me better understand some of the nuances of all these little differences or the little subsections of what the cloud really is. So maybe just help us unpack the cloud in general. What is it, what does it mean? What are the sure. major components of it? For sure. Um, so I think, uh, I, I love the bumper sticker that says, uh, we all got excited about the cloud, but it was just someone else's computer. And I always, uh, find that in the end, just my, my favorite little quip when it comes to cloud conversation. But for me, the, the cloud is, is best understood in me using those old as a service, uh, definitions that I, that we all went through when we were doing uh, management of information services 101 in, in college. And, uh, for me, I'm, I'm a Euclidean. So I think everything in life can be summarized by a straight line. Um, so if you take kind of the dimensions of, of an application deployment, and on the one side you have your traditional on-premise deployment. You have a local server, uh, you have a local installation, you have the data center, you have the cooling, the hardware, all of the infrastructure to make sure that this thing runs successfully, redundant power, physical security, et cetera. That's kind of on the one dimension of, of a computer deployment. On the far end, you have what we call software as a service. And software as a service is kind of your purest version of what we might call cloud. And that is where there is no install. That from a software owner standpoint, you as the, the recipient of the software have no visibility to the installation and the, the final product of how that's, that uh, software lives. You just consume the output. Um, now, between that, there are a lot of kind of variations that, that differ in varying ways. So as we go kind of from the on-premise towards pure SaaS, you run into what sometimes is called infrastructure as a service. And in, in this case, with infrastructure as a service, you have a, a cloud provider, a data center, or what have you, providing the tools to allow you to carve out virtualized servers inside of their data center. So they have a whole bunch of server stacks. They have that all built out. What they have on top of that is this software layer that allows you to virtualize and scope out, scale out, the server architecture you need to do your install. So from an installation standpoint, you still have what we call a perpetual license of the software. You are still installing it on a box or a set of boxes that you have physical control of. You can define and control the properties of those servers, which is one of the big pieces of cloud, right? Elasticity and scalability. You, you say how much you know RAM you need, the number of cores, et cetera, on, on a given box and you have kind of that full control, but you also have the, the responsibility of everything else other than that physical manifestation. Uh, as you move a little further out, we talk about platform as a service. And with platform as a service, it often happens where you have someone who's kind of playing the middleman. They're consuming those raw cloud resources from the data center, and they are scaling and scoping out that, that work for the end customer in terms of building out the environments um, and then then optionally installing and managing the software itself that goes on those environments. So from a customer standpoint, you have uh, less 
responsibility to keep the overall ecosystem running. Uh, you still have access to that that back end of the server to be able to see your data or see your application and manage some of that. But you also have kind of a partner working with you to assist you in that area. Now, Estes, that's kind of the area for us and where we have the most footprint and visibility. We work kind of between that level of infrastructure and platform as a service, kind of work with our customers to give different different variants of that. Um, it's when you get from platform as a service and now you go further down the dimensions, now you're talking about pure software as a service. So at this point, the customer no longer has visibility to that server foundation. They're just really a, consuming that software from a pure client standpoint. And it's, it's really that kind of dimension is where when we talk about cloud, anytime you stop living on an on-premise server, you're, you're working with some version of the cloud. And depending on kind of the, the needs of the business and how you best uh, work with the uh, tools at hand, you might choose one or, one or more versions of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting, and it, it's helpful to think of it in a continuum, like the way you just laid it out. And I think one of the um, one of the big things that that um, resonates with me as you as you're talking about this is the fact that you know there's still a lot of holdouts uh, for the cloud. You know, a lot of CIOs and IT directors that they like the control they have, they like the transparency, the visibility, the ownership, whatever you want to call it. They like just knowing they've got you know they've got their own stack, they've got their technology, the data, it's all right there. They can, for better or for worse, they they control it. And, you know, I think a lot of companies are afraid to make that huge leap over to SaaS, you know, on the other extreme where it's just not only mm -hmm. in the cloud, but it's multi-tenant and um, you, have a, you have less flexibility. You don't really see what's happening behind the scenes. But what you're saying is there, there are some hybrid, they're not really hybrid options, but there's things that aren't as extreme of a, of a jump for some of those companies that do want to retain control and maybe have more flexibility. Is that true? Would you, would sure. you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. More options? yeah, entirely. There are some gradients along the way that a company who doesn't want to uh, com commit completely to a SaaS option for one of a number of reasons. And there are, you know, there are reasons that you're, are your classical change management reasons that that are uh, just difficult to handle the change. There are also, I think in my mind, more legitimate reasons that keep a company from moving straight into a pure SaaS version. But uh, to your point, there are different gradients between the infrastructure and platform as a service models that allow you to take away some of the capital investment costs, some of the risks, some of those challenges that come from a pure on-site, on on-premise server and start to consume the cloud in, in varying ways to help make your business better and, and you know make your bottom line better as well. So th those are definitely some areas that, and, and when we had discussed earlier, the idea of uh, an ERP system quite often is much more of a tangled web than when we talk about it academically. We say an ERP is this thing where in reality it is a core system with a number of bolt-ons, integrations, reporting tools, other things that are hooking into a given platform. And the challenge with a uh, implementation and a cloud deployment is quite often you're not just moving the ERP system you're moving the ERP system and repointing or moving all of the other uh, components to that. So uh, I, I, I think of a company's uh, IT platform as like an octopus where you have eight legs and some of those legs are stuck back in an on-premise model. Some of those legs are already into the SaaS model. And as you migrate your ERP software, you want to make sure that you don't cut off any of those legs along the process. And uh, with a with a IIAS or a platform as a service model, you have the ability to do some of that migration without it being as disruptive for the business. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Great point. Um, do you do you find that 
you know, given the maturity level or lack thereof of, of some cloud ERP systems in the market or enterprise technologies in general, do you find that a majority of organizations are doing some sort of mix where it's some, some stuff in the cloud, but you're still trying to figure out how to tie it back to or integrate back to on-prem systems and tie it all together? Is that the more common scenario or are you finding that more companies are actually putting everything, you know, all their core systems in the cloud? You know, it probably depends on where the, uh, a given company is with its business system and and how tangled its existing web is. That's probably one factor. Um, probably the, the level of complexity within the business is another driving factor. If you are, let's say, a discrete manufacturer with a really well-developed and well-defined product and a relatively straight business model, you are a much more likely candidate to move straight into a SaaS solution. Uh, where you can use those functionalities and take them on and, and do well with it. And I've seen a lot of companies who do that and they're successful. Uh, there's another kind of class of companies that have more complex product, more complex business models, uh, bigger challenges coming from the dealer networks or the supplier networks, the subcontractor networks, and a need for functionality that tends to stray from out-of-the-box capabilities more commonly. And that's the, the class of companies where I find uh, the middle models of IAS or PAAS being more valuable to them because it gives them that ability to maintain some of those competitive edges that they've developed over the years uh, with their ERP system. Some of those things are not things that are easily ported over into a pure SaaS model. Um, I listened to a CEO of a company once describe kind of their future vision for the world. And, and he described it as kind of a, a balance between configurability and customizability. And for those customers with the simple product, the simple business model, they were the most likely the ones that could live within a configurable system that had very well prescribed boundaries. And for those customers who did not live within that system, there was the more perpetual license on premise uh, version of that installation that would allow them that greater flexibility. And then the, the, the benefits of, of these middle cloud versions is that you have the on premise capabilities of the system, but you also have the deployment to the cloud. So it's kind of taking the best of those two sides of the coin and trying to blend them that way. Yeah. Yeah. So just to maybe summarize the whole enterprise technology cloud landscape, you have, you know, tying it back to your, your description of what the cloud is and some of those different options you have in the cloud. So on, on the, the one extreme you're talking with the software as a service, multi-tenant, um, you know, everything sort of managed by the, the software vendor and a um, little less flexibility that goes along with that. So examples of products that fit that model would be like a NetSuite or a Workday, Salesforce, like some of those pure SaaS solutions, right? right. And then you might have like a, uh, you know, SAP, uh, Oracle, Epicor, Sage, you know, those sorts of products where maybe you buy an instance of the software, but you have someone else hosting it, either infrastructure as a service or platform as a service. Is that how you would like, how would you, mm -hmm. if I were to go buy software and I sort of that hybrid model where I'm actually buying my own licenses, I'm not doing a multi-tenant model like a NetSuite where you just, you know, you're logging in, you're using the same, you know, uh, version or whatever as everyone else. And you can't really cost, or you have limitations on what you can customize. So you back off of that and then you go with like a Epicor, let's just say, or SAP, whatever it is. And you want to have someone else hosted. So tell us like, how does that work? How does that, what does that look like? Right. So the deployment model is one of those kind of magical parameters within the idea of software selection that doesn't always get considered. And I think it's always uh, something that really should be considered. I had to let me just drop into an anecdote here of a customer who had uh, 
brought in the Estes group to help them install and implement the system. And on kickoff day, the IT director says, so where's where's our web client? How do we deploy this to the web so our, our users can get at the, the, act, the application? And we kind of looked at each other and said, well, it's actually a fat client deployment. The, the application doesn't have a robust web client that can support this implementation. And he kind of stood up in awe of, oh, how did we not know this? And um, it was one of those assumptions that we take on when we look at software selection. We think so much about functionality. What are the key things that the system can do for me? Can it configure my product? Can it handle my supplier uh, structure? Can it handle customer requests coming in? We don't always think of how, how is the system going to get deployed? Will we have the access we need to be able to report and fine tune and do whatever else we need? And how will the users be consuming that? So that's a big kind of chunk of that. Now, now within the broader ERP landscape, like you said, there are cust- you know software providers like NetSuite, like Plex, uh, Salesforce, what have you, where it's really what you see is what you get. And you have this cloud version, this SaaS version, and it's really your deployment is self-evident. It's all browser-based. So you, those things are all made very clear for you. Um, as you deviate out of those classes of applications, it gets a little more dicey because you have a lot of uh, providers who are kind of in a middle ground between some form of a web client and some version of an on-premise client. I would say a couple off the cuff would be SysPro or Epicor would probably fall into that, that, that category where they have a SaaS version and they have a on-premise version and they're running in a parallel model. Uh, so as a consumer, as a buyer, you need to be def- determining, you know, between the two of those to say, yeah, yeah am I going to look and go in this direction of the on-premise version or is the SaaS version capable enough uh, to meet my needs? So it's with that family of, co- of companies that are kind of were that predated cloud, predated SaaS that really have that conundrum of how to kind of bring their platforms forward without losing all that robust functionality that they built in the process. All right, great discussion so far. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more in our discussion with Brad talking about cloud and managed services. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 25. Thanks for being here today. You can find us every Wednesday on YouTube, all the audio uh, podcast platforms like Spotify, Google, uh, Amazon, etc. And uh, we're here talking with uh, Brad Feeks from Mestis Group about cloud and managed services. So let's pick up the conversation where we left off. You know, this is this gets back to hosting providers. So 
you know, in, in if I just back up and I think like a consumer, like a CIO or a potential organization that may potentially move to the cloud, you know, it seems like the big names, like uh, it seems like if you're going to move to the cloud and you're, you're talking to an ERP vendor that's not SaaS, let's just say it's like SAP or Oracle or Sage or Epic or whoever it is, and you want to, you know, you're looking for a cloud solution. A lot of times it seems like the the market will tell you or suggest that your, your options are somewhat limited. You can either have the vendor provide the the hosting services, or they might have a partner like Azure or Amazon Web Services that 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 does all their hosting for them. Um, obviously, Estes is Estes Group, that the company you work for, is in the same space. Tell us why. You tell us how you guys c- compare yourself, or kind of how a mid tier option like a like an Estes that isn't necessarily an Amazon, you know, how, how do you guys fit mm-hmm. in the space and you know, kind of what's your value proposition as it relates to other, sure. other hosting providers? Oh, that makes good sense. And uh, so, so there's the kind of pure from a infrastructure as a, as a service standpoint, you have customers who are looking to consume Amazon or Azure and use that directly as their source for carving out resources. Um, and building out their own system. And that's kind of sometimes how it gets framed up to the customers. It's either you can you can work through the uh, vendor and have the vendor host that for you, or you can work through uh, a big data center and, and work there and, and do that work. Now, what the challenge for a lot of companies has to do with, I don't have the resources internally to manage that environment. And um, what doesn't always get understood is that there's a kind of a middle ground for that. And that's where the Estes Group has been kind of targeting our work. And that is where we're working as kind of a middleman between the cloud provider and the consumer to build out that environment for them and kind of work in in the place of the customer to build out an environment that meets their needs performance-wise, scalability-wise, and then work with the cloud provider to make sure that we're getting one, the best cost that we can pass along to the customer, but also getting all the necessary resources to keep that system running. Make sure that we're picking a provider that has the the appropriate uh, like ITAR certification or CMMC if there are like compliance issues, but also working with a, a provider that has really good, uh, no downtime uh, and reliability because data centers in spite of their notoriety are sometimes notorious for some of the outages and those outages are pretty widespread and, and really hit a business. So making sure that we're working with a provider that has that reliability in terms of their, their company and their, their provisions of, of services is, is really important. So we step in, we take those resources, we install, we manage, and then we work with the customer to define now, how much control do you, Mr. and Mrs. Customer, want of this application, this environment? And then we scale our pricing model and our relationship with them accordingly. And I think that's really, if you're a customer looking to go into the cloud, those, those are questions you should be asking yourself and your provider. How much control do I want? Um, how much? How many services or assistance do I want? And what am I exactly paying for? Because in the cloud, one of the best spaces or one of the best uh, aspects of this space is that elastic computing um, Moore's law. You've probably heard the term Moore's law has become one of those drinking games. Everybody takes a shot whenever someone in a webinar like this mentions it. But, you know, the the reality of Moore's law is that processing power is going up. And because of that, it's going up faster than the needs of the software. So costs should be coming down. And so you want to make sure that when you're working with a provider that you're understanding what does that cost model look like? We have... um, some customers who have uh, cyclical business needs where come 
the busy season, let's say they're driving ready to get everything for September 1 because the kids got to be in school and they'll, their computing needs will spike similarly. And then when they hit winter, those computing needs will drop. So where we work out with, with some customers, is there a, a cyclical business cycle that we can work out that you can dial up our resources allocated to us uh, during this period and then dial them down and have the cost model uh, run accordingly. So that's some of the flexibility you get in this kind of private cloud architecture that's I, I think really beneficial for customers. Right, yeah, that makes makes good sense. Now, what about um, when, when uh, when we're looking at the cloud in general, there's a few different aspects of it. I mean, there's there's the the hosting itself, and I think that's probably that seems like the most fundamental thing is I'm looking for someone to just to host my software. Um, and obviously, you've already talked about the infrastructure aspect of it, the, the platform piece of it. But let's look, let's dive into some other areas or some of the other benefits of cloud. Um, you know, when you look at or or maybe not not necessarily benefits. I, you'll probably tell us there's benefits, but I guess just more how how it's addressed in the cloud. So when you look at something like um, data data management, I mean, how does data, we look at the whole bucket of data and analytics, business intelligence, all that stuff. How does the cloud enable that? Or how does it work differently in the cloud versus if I'm managing that stuff on premise? So if you're managing it in the cloud, one big uh, benefit then, of course, is access. Uh, you want to be able as a customer quite often to access your data and consume it in whatever way you need. Um, if you're in a pure SaaS environment, sometimes that gets to be challenging. You're either setting up some API to perform replication or you're kind of working through the, the solutions of the, the SaaS provider to get access to data, which can be a little clunky at times. When you're in a pure model where you have direct access, your options become pretty significant in terms of what you can or can't do. Um, what I've seen a lot of, this is where I think hybrid clouds and the discussion of, of different levels of integration become really commonplace where you have um, third parties that might be needing to get access to your data. In a cloud environment, you have a, a, a nice amount of control to be able to define which, which, uh, you know, which ports you're going to open, what, what APIs you're going to allow, how you're going to allow other applications either internally to your own subnet or outside uh, to the, the outside world to, to come in, extract data, and work back and forth. Um, it's, it's pretty common in this structure to have, uh, I would say, a fair bit of localized reporting requirements um, because I, I say those tend to be a little easier on customers from a uh, overhead and cost standpoint. So it's very common to see uh, replication through uh, the you know business analytics tool like Microsoft uh, or the similar tools that are, are reporting against them, as well as you know even things as simple as Crystal Reports or what have you. There's a fair bit of uh, work that can be done across multiple platforms to be presenting data back to the end users. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. And what about what about cybersecurity? Um, you know, a lot of a lot of organizations are, you know, with all that's going on in the world right now, with cybersecurity breaches and whatnot. There's you know two schools of thought. It seems like you've got, you know, some that would argue that you know cloud's going to be more secure because you have professionals that are you know going to have um, you know minimum criteria, security criteria, best in class security um, controls and whatnot. Then you have another school of thought that says, well, I want control, you know, back to the control issue. I want control. I want to know what's happening with my data and the security and all that stuff. How does how, how does cybersecurity factor into cloud and how does cloud enable cyber, better cybersecurity? 
And that's a, a really good question. And I think one that, that people should be asking when they're kicking the tires. If, if I'm putting this in a cloud, am I, am I painting a target on myself? I know customers come to us asking that question. Am I making myself more vulnerable or less? And there's, there are certainly a number of factors here. Let me give you another anecdote. I, I seem to speak better when I'm talking about a specific example. But uh, the idea of cybersecurity as it relates to ERP, quite often we think of those as very separate things. Uh, I had a customer that was going live on an ERP system. And the entire business, it was on-premise. Uh, they had their own IT staff. They had their own application management staff. And the whole, the whole business was focused on cutover weekend, getting ready to go live on this, this ERP system. And it just so happens that uh, some hackers were targeting that same time period because over cutover weekend, they got themselves hacked and ransomed. So the entire environment, the entire ecosystem, their ERP system and pretty much everything else went down all at once. And uh, they literally went dark on us. We were to the point where we were speaking to their IT director over his Gmail account. And he was communicating us to over his phone because it was the only device in the building that hadn't been compromised. And Sometimes I think of security, there's one benefit that I like about the apportionment of servers into the cloud is that you get um, kind of a segregation of duties effect that comes from saying this computer is only going to be used for these purposes. And I know coming from a, a customer environment where we had a big data center and a lot of blades, you tend to multi-purpose things and it gets easier and easier to treat a, a server to serve multiple functions. And you say, okay, well, can I have this? Can, it, can I put a file server on here so that it can connect to my CNC machines? And suddenly you've opened up what, what often is a big vulnerability when you start connecting stuff to shop floor devices because there's you know some risk to be had there. Um, so that, that segregation of duties is one way I think we're security gets to be really helpful in the cloud because we tend to apportion servers to do very specific functions and not to extend beyond those. Um, the other piece I like about uh, about the cloud when it comes to security is the fact that you're all you're kind of um, Oh, how do we say it was it new, new said he was sitting on the shoulders of giants when you're working with a data provider, a data center provider, you're, you're working on the platform that they've developed and they themselves have, you know, bomb shelter level facilities that they've done, they built up to that to secure that have redundant power that have, you know, extra cooling, all the things needed to keep a system safe and protected and have all their own security stack layered on top of that at a software level. So that at a software application level, you have an initial layer of security that you're building on top of. Now, as a, as a managed service provider, uh, you have the ability to layer on top of that kind of a best-in-class security suite of endpoint security management and uh, local and web-based management to try and collect, connect, uh, monitor your servers, monitor your behavior of your servers internally so that you can watch that and also keep everything segregated so that you can, if you ever run into a situation where something looks strange on one, one device, you can isolate, you can fence in that device very quickly and go in and look at it without affecting the rest of the ecosystem. So I think there's some benefits there, uh, like economies of scales that come from being able to take a best-in-class security solution and lay it over your entire uh, ecosystem of customers. Yeah, yeah, makes total sense. And yeah, you know, one thing I, I'll advise clients on, or our team will advise clients on, is that you know if you're worried about having a bullseye on you because you've got your data and systems in the cloud, you know, one way to think about that risk is you know who's more likely to have you know, more seasoned and, and tighter controls, you know, or, or security protocols that are going to protect the data. I mean, a, a cloud provider like Estes, 
you know, you guys have a lot to lose if you have a breach. You know, you have a lot, you know, that's your that's your whole business. And, you know, your job, that's your really your only job. That's what you specialize in is providing these cloud platforms and environments and secure cloud environments. Whereas, you know, the average IT shop for an internal organization just isn't going to have that level of sophistication and, um, you know, best in class security tools and whatnot. So I, I always mm-hmm. use that as a sort of a, uh, a counterpoint to people that say, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to be exposed because someone else has my data or someone else has my mm-hmm. uh, systems in the cloud. So I think it's a good point. It really is. What about um, the customer? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, I just say we're, I'm really a believer in no single solution applies to everyone. And we come into some cases where we see a, a customer and they have a really best in class IT structure. And they've followed one of those best in class compliance models of this is how we're going to structure our support so that we have help desk people worrying about help desk issues. And we have network admins and architects worrying about the architecture. And you're able to build out a sufficient structure to manage that full time. Um, we're not going out there to try and say, oh, yeah, you need to gut that system and move it if you have a, a successful staff and a successful business process internally. If you're one of those folks who has the the network admin who is always driving in four directions, fixing an end user terminal on one day, putting together terminal services on the next and supposed to check security messages in the evening, you have one of those cases where you might be wanting to look to apportion some of those duties to the cloud. I think that's a, that's an area where you can better focus your people internally and give them a fewer a few fewer responsibilities to try and burden while you kind of take this and you apportion that out into a cloud environment. Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. What about the the speed of cloud versus on premise? I know I was I was actually chatting with a client this morning, uh, a new client that's moving off of. Uh, some old AS four hundred applications, and they were talking about how one of the challenges or the hard parts of moving off an AS four hundred environment is that it's so reliable and the performance is so great, and they're worried about you know then going to a cloud environment where maybe it's not quite as stable or not quite as reliable. But how how would you compare? So there's a, there's a mindset amongst a certain subset of the market that sure. cloud can't be as reliable, it can't be as fast, or whatever. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, just how does how does cloud affect speed and performance overall for your applications and your your systems? Well, I see kind of both. Uh, I see both sides of the spectrum often with with my customers. I see customers, and this is even at an ERP level before you've even discussed cloud. Um, the movement of from a black screen C C uh, plain old C based application where you enter a couple of fields into a green screen, you hit enter, and boom, 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 all this stuff happens. Uh, moving from that to a multi tiered client server uh, architecture like uh, like an Epicor, or like a Sage. Uh, the, the, the expectation management is, is necessary there, uh, just from an application standpoint. The idea is the goal of these systems is to reduce time across the value stream and not necessarily make each individual's life more efficient. So that's a, a, a check that we try to have in terms of the expectation management. It says, yes, uh, Mr. Purchasing Agent, when you hit the button, you may have an extra quarter second of latency. But that time is spent in val- in providing greater value to the rest of the value stream. Uh, so that that's one piece that you kind of layer out there because it can be very easy to conflate the challenges of application migration and the architecture migration. Now, when we work with a customer to determine how they want to deploy their applications, the ability to have uh, secure and robust access to the outside world in terms of your your internet access is certainly an important consideration. And we run into situations where we'll be working with a factory 
that is next to a railroad track. And because of such, they don't have a good pipe coming in. They only have, you know, they might be beaming off their, their cousin's network or something, doing something goofy to try to get internet inside of the building. And the, the, the legitimate infrastructure of the local community prevents them from having that robust connection that would say, you know, we're going to steer you down the road to a, a low on-premise install because really this is going to be the best choice for you. Now, as, as technology options increase, some of that changes a little bit. Uh, I have Starnet or Starlink on my own home because I live out in the sticks. And as that continues to improve, I'm seeing personally some of the benefits that you can see. So you know that there are different options out there as, as time progresses. But we were working with another customer just recently and doing some ping tests to see how quickly they could get out to our data center versus get into their own uh, network. And we were finding that the data center pings were actually coming back quicker because the connections were well-defined and uh, you know kind of best of breed because once you got into their outside network, the architecture was at such a better level that the ability to move things through all the switches and gears was much faster than they had internally. So yeah, you could bring that local in infrastructure up to speed, but that's where your, your capital investment becomes a, a concern. And is that really where you want to be going? So I think speed is always a concern and a consideration, but I've seen uh, in a lot of cases, our, our customers are, are happy with the speed that they get because you have the, the economies of scale that come from these data centers. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I never thought of it in the way you just framed it as far as just you know, getting out of the myopic view of speed, you know, how fast is it? Oh, it's not fast enough, then therefore it's not a good fit. It's easy to fall into that sort of myopic assessment of cloud. But if you look at it from the overall value chain perspective, and as long as the, the performance and speed is, you know, a minimum level of acceptable speed, then, right. you know, it doesn't matter if that quarter sec, doesn't really matter if that quarter second, you know, delay from the time you hit enter until it, you know, the transaction is completed. Um, I think that's a, that's a good point. Now, I do... Just as a counterpoint to that, I actually was talking to uh, a lot of the work we do um, at third stage is expert witness type of work. And we were actually talking to an attorney client of ours for an expert witness case. And one of the um, one of the facts of the case is it involves a, uh, a SaaS software provider that had provided and implemented their solution. And one of the things that they had found is that it was it wasn't a split second. It was more like a six to eight second delay you know, from that, mm. you, from the time a transaction was completed. And that was, you know, multiply that times, however many hundreds or thousands of transactions that this particular company has. And um, that was, you know, creating a big slowdown in their, in their operation. So do you see that with, you know, is there, um, you know, are you more likely to have that kind of a performance issue with like a SaaS provider, multi-tenant because it's, you know, the, the servers get jammed with, you know, with all the transactions they're doing or, is there any difference or is it just a matter of uh, having a better infrastructure provider that can, you know, provide better performance? You know, that's a, a really good question. And I wouldn't want to answer for the SaaS people in terms of how they're doing right. their architecture. I don't think that would be fair of me. But I do I do always, it's a challenge in multi-tenant environments. And, you know, we offer versions of multi-tenancy. And the challenge of multi-tenancy always has to do beyond security, right? If you are have security needs where ITAR mandates that you lock things down, you don't share resources, that's one thing. But beyond that, uh, a multi-tenancy environment, even if you're doing something where you're sharing this, the SQL server box, let's say, between applications that can draw uh, less less uh, investment 
on, on your point, but you do understand that you are sharing resources across a, a, a collection of individuals. And if you're truly looking for a certain dedicated performance, you do need to figure out how, how much that's worth it to you and whether or not you want to apportion that accordingly. Because I think there's definitely a challenge for uh, scaling your, your resources appropriately to meet your load and to make sure that you have visibility to whether or not that's being scaled properly. For us, that's kind of one of the benefits we like to work with our customers is that they have visibility to that. We give people line of sight to understand, you know, uh, this is where the CPUs are pegging or this is how much RAM you're consuming or this is how much data is coming into the, the SQL server to say, okay, we think that you've hit a level here now, your transaction loads justifies additional uh, increases in resources. And that's where the, the cloud benefits show themselves is that you can dial those things up when you need them to. But I think really the, the conversation between customer and provider needs to be open so that as they feel that pain, you're giving them good answers to the questions. Because yeah, the idea of, of the cloud is just a black box from which no other information comes out is a real scary conundrum for a customer. Yeah, yeah. All right, great discussion so far. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more in our discussion with Brad talking about cloud and managed services. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 25. Thanks for being here today. You can find us every Wednesday on YouTube, all the audio podcast platforms like Spotify, Google, uh, Amazon, etc. And uh, we're here talking with uh, Brad Feeks from Mestis Group about cloud and managed services. So let's pick up the conversation where we left off. What about um, when you look at the transition to the cloud? So say I'm an organization, I'm the CEO or CIO of an organization, and I've got a pretty well entrenched, well established, mature IT team, I've got an IT infrastructure. Um, I'm, you know, I'm used for better for worse. I'm used to having all my, you know, my infrastructure housed in, in my four walls. What does that transition look like? I mean, how, you know, just from more from a, I guess more from a organizational perspective, but also from a technical perspective, you know, how, how difficult is that for companies to give that up and to make the jump and to, you know, it, it, it's probably not as easy as it sounds. Sure. How do, how do, how do you see the plan? I would say the, the idea there is, is you, you talk a lot about change management. I really think a lot of it has to do with change management. One of the kind of pillars of change management is, is open communication of what the current versus the future state looks like. 
to say, okay, currently we're doing this and we're seeing things this way and we're processing things in this way. In the future, these are the differences and make those differences real uh, apparent for people. Because I think when change happens, quite often the biggest shock is not that the change happened, but that I wasn't aware, that I did not plan for that change to happen, that I didn't realize that on Monday I would be accessing the system in a different way than I was on Friday. Uh, so one of the biggest pieces of what we do is rolling out that change to understand these are the implications. Now, the easiest way to do this is through test environments. And as part of a migration to a system, we first spin up the, the environment, we get a, a ecosystem put together where we can connect them to the application server through, uh, you know, let's assume it's a, a terminal services farm that they're coming into and they're going to access through a terminal services farm. They get used to that idea and they're like, well, in the old days, I had a local client install and I connected there and I had the look and feel of a client install. Well, now we're, if we we're going to be in a terminal services farm, this is what it's going to look like. Instead, it's going to, these are the differences you're going to see when you need to get a, a downloaded file. You go here instead of there. And because of these things, we can offer these benefits uh, because that's using the terminal services example, uh, fat client architectures tend to be pretty well, fat in terms of the amount of data, the amount of chattiness they have when they're talking to the application server. So you have client to the, uh, to the app server tends to be pretty chatty with a lot of applications. You move that to a terminal services farm that's inside of the network. Now you're just speaking to this essentially dumb terminal and all the heavy lifting is happening in very short distances in, inside so that your final performance might be something that's better than your current state and trying to under help people understand these are the implications, these are the benefits, this is why we're doing it is really an important piece of that whole testing cycle as you verify that all the pieces of this cloud architecture are going to work for you in the future. Yeah, yeah, great point. Great point. And one of the things that you had mentioned uh, the other day when you and I spoke about this stuff, you uh, getting ready for this discussion, you had talked about I think you were talking about manufacturing and distribution companies in particular, but you were talking about how different industries have different business processes and different uh, workflows required within their applications and their data flows and things like that. And one thing that I, I didn't know and I didn't fully understand until you, you sort of explained it to me was that, you know, that the type of industry you're in and the understanding of the industry is very important when establishing a cloud infrastructure, because it's not as simple as just put it in the black box, to use your words, you know, just throw it out there in the cloud and, how hard can it be? So tell us how the like the industry nuances of whether you're a manufacturer, dis distributor, or whatever example you want to give, how does that affect mm -hmm. how you set up your cloud environments? Yeah, you know, really, it does have a, a big effect on the overall service model that we work to provide for ourselves is because we're coming from a kind of a functional into a technical realm. Uh, as we as we ramped up our technical folks and brought in more people to handle the, the speeds and feeds, we kept them tightly integrated with our uh, consultant and application management level people so that we could bring in those two pieces to help uh, manage the application. Because in my mind, platform as a service definitely has a component of application management that bleeds into technical management. Um, and so understanding in an MRP environment or you know, a manufacturing environment, I have nightly processes that are running inside of the system. Those processes have a technical component in terms of the, the, you know, the lag they have on the server and the database, and also an end user component in terms of this is what I want to see coming out the backside. As uh, a consultancy that does hosting, we try to keep that blended to understand these are the, the potential areas, the pain points that you're going to see when you install a server. 
And um, that's where we've had folks come to us kind of from the mom and pop MSP world where, where they, they knew someone, you know, uh, cousin Ned could throw my application up in an ERP, but once it was up there, he didn't know what to do with it. You know, so we didn't know, we couldn't figure out how to get SSRS running in a way that was helpful to manage our business. Or we were an engineering firm and you take a, a lot of manufacturing in, in America is very configurable and thus very engineering intensive in terms of the drawings, the CAD, the other things that come along to that stuff that needs to be shown uh, up and down the value stream. You might be sending this to a customer at the point of quoting, or you might be showing it to the, to the folks on the shop floor as they manufacture the actual components. Um, and those have implications on what kind of server network you have in terms of a file share system and making sure that you're confirming that you can pass those files through that system efficiently. Um, the inability to do those kinds of industry specific things can create big gaps. Um, and if you're working on the kind of the integration platform, you know, a lot of, as we had talked, a lot of companies are, you know, integrated across a number of little apps and big apps, the ability to help a customer figure out how they're going to take this custom uh, quality management app that they developed in-house back in, in 94 and make sure that it can still speak to their ERP data because they don't have a way of doing anything with that app right now. That's kind of a, a critical piece of that. So it, it, it comes with understanding the core needs of the, the organization, but also those kind of funny exceptions that, that after you've done enough of these are no longer exceptions because they, they kind of relate to those industries. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're an organization that, you know, has a fairly complex MRP process, you know, the material resource planning within a manufacturer, or if you're a, you know, a high volume e-commerce, you know, B2C retailer that's providing sales online. I mean, those are like different nuances, I would suspect that ha that would affect your cloud platform or your, your cloud setup differently. Is that true? Like you, you wouldn't just, those wouldn't be two scenarios where you just throw them both in the cloud and you're good. It, there's nuances to that. So you'd have to adjust is. the cloud uh, to that. For sure. If you're talking with a, a situation, let's use the MRP as an example. And this, this varies depending on the application that you've installed. But, you know, many applications allow you to stick processes over on their own server. You call it your process server. So you can split out your server architecture. So you have your primary application server. You have a secondary process server where these processes, these large uh, processes that take up a lot of bandwidth and, and load, can run independently of the rest of the environment. They're speaking to the database. They're orchestrated from the application server. And that allows now that MRP might be a bear, but it is not loading on the same box that the end users are connecting. So the end users can connect and do their business without running into these performance degradations that an MRP load might be taking. Same thing, say, with a with a uh, e-commerce, uh, you can split out in many environments multiple application threads so that you have multiple threads. You have a, a set of user threads, so they're they're connecting to an application server, whereas your e-commerce platform that might be very transactionally intensive, loading a lot of sales orders, let's say, also is connecting to a separate application server. Those in conjunction are speaking to the same database. So you have the same single point of authority in that database but the application layers that can speak to it, you can branch those out and kind of segregate them so they're not conflicting with each other from a performance standpoint. Hmm. That's that's really well put. I mean, I, one thing I love about this conversation is, you know, first of all, when we're talking about cloud, I'm, I'm over my head. Like I'm way out over my head right here talking about all this cloud stuff because that, that's not my strength and cloud infrastructure and architecture and all that stuff is not one of my biggest strengths. So you're, you're conveying this in a, in a really helpful way, but you're also unpacking a lot of these little nuances of cloud that I, that I wasn't fully aware of or didn't fully understand until 
uh, having this conversation. So that's that's interesting. So it's it's part industry. So you've got different processes, workflows, and needs that would affect how you set up cloud, and then certainly the applications too. Like when you you guys do different so you provide cloud uh, solutions for multiple software solutions. So Correct. you know if you're setting up Sage versus Epicor, for example, you know those are two different configurations if you will of cloud is that correct or or is it it is you know is your cloud really architecture is. affected by totally uh we have uh i think probably the biggest difference that i see uh between applications right now is you'll have a very standard uh separate sql server uh box that that the application speaks to um the presence of an application servers in in especially in older architectures that are just starting to migrate to cloud deployments uh we run into applications that have extreme fat clients that they're not even speaking through an application server they're actually speaking directly to the database um such a client takes up a, a huge footprint on a on a machine so you find yourself having to spin out terminal server farms to account for that now the challenge there is even even on a terminal server they can take a lot of resources so you need to really build out those terminal servers with a lot of you know a lot of sockets and cpus to handle these uh applications because these uh fat clients tend to consume one one cpu per application so you find yourself creating really robust server farms to allow you know 15 or 20 users to get into that into that terminal server and then as you as you hit kind of your natural limit now you find yourself spinning up and you create that set of terminal servers and you integrate them as a farm so that they can speak back to the database if you, if that that is one architecture footprint now if you get to a client server application that has a web uh, interface that its client is purely web-based now you may not have a terminal services layer at all so you might have the end users and the end user terminal are communicating directly with the application server uh, across the wires and you, there's no need for a, a significant client deployment and uh, so that those are some of the the, the basic challenges we've even have customers that um, have kind of parallel processes as, as some ERPs are migrating themselves and, and building uh, application server layers that allow for e-commerce to support because uh, really the idea of, of applications speaking directly to the databases is, is something that's, you know, I would have thought it would have already gone out of style, but it's still around with us. But as, as we slowly get there, I see customer or vendors creating application server layers initially for things like e-commerce to, to speak to those and provide an API layer so that you can provide business logic, but also to begin to migrate their customer, their client base, so that the client computers are now speaking through the middleware and not through the database itself and thinning out the client layer as a result. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, so you need to, you know, when you're assessing potential managed service providers, you need to know that they understand your industry, they understand the technology you're deploying, because those all have implications mm -hmm. on how you set up. It's not a one size fits all, you know, just set up a set up a right. platform for them and go at it. It, it certainly yeah. isn't. And uh, this this activity should be done in conjunction with functional experts of the application and its management, along with technical experts. And that's been for us as we branch out into other systems, because we get to the point where um, another system becomes available, another opportunity. Then we find ourselves partnering with kind of a broader community to say, OK, now that we want to to take on a a different system what is the right knowledge level that needs to be had to do this successfully because we don't want to just be the mom and pop shop that takes someone's application and throws it up in the cloud and says you're done we want to make sure that we're doing it in a way that is maximizing that the customer value because the idea of the cloud is that the customer is getting value out of it and if you're not uh, taking care to take care of those nuances i think you, you're ultimately doing them a disservice
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it gets back to the point too of, you know, of really closely and carefully evaluating your, your managed service providers, because again, it's not just, I think the first two that come to mind for a lot of people is AWS and Azure or Azure, mm-hmm. you know, those are the two, um, big ones, but there's a lot of other options and there's a lot of other considerations. It's not just, is it a name I recognize? Is it, you know, you want to know that there's a, some targeted expertise that you need for your specific deployment. For sure. For sure. What is the, what, what, what capabilities, what tier are you talking about? What level of uh, redundancy do they offer? You know, every, every server or data center tier level comes with different expectations and requirements and service levels and, uh, and understanding what your service level expectations are relative to the, the provider that you have is, is really important as, as well as, um, knowing what their expertise level and how much expertise they can provide to help you get to where you need to be. Because if there's a gap between say what AEWS is willing to do and where you need to go, if there's a space in there or is there, if there's some point in that chain between AWS and your end user, you want to make sure that you have all of those points covered along the way. Else you, you get a gap in the application layer or a gap at the, the technical services layer. You might find yourself in a bit of, bit of trouble. Yeah. Yeah makes sense um so i guess just to summarize so so if we back up here a second come back up to the big picture and we want to summarize you know kind of wrap up the conversation summarize some of the big themes of what you know what are the big takeaways for for cloud deployments i mean i mean i think one is the one we just covered which is you know make sure you carefully consider your managed service provider and that you understand their or you make sure that they understand your industry your workflow your functional needs as well as your applications and data structure and all that technical stuff. Um, there's also, you know, just the understanding of what exactly, what type of cloud solution are you looking for? Is it is it multi-tenant SaaS? Is it more of a platform as a service, infrastructure as a service? You know, that's, a, that's another nuance. What other big takeaways or big sort of closing words of advice would you give to someone who's really trying to understand the cloud better or thinking about making that leap into the cloud? What, what kind of t- mm-hmm. big picture takeaways would you leave us with? Well, I think I think the first would be, and and we've we've touched on this a bit, is the idea of knowledge and knowing what your options are, uh, because I think too often when you go into a car lot and you the car the the salesperson gives you two options between what what's available, you might come to believe that I can either have a I can either have a pickup truck or or a minivan, and you realize that yeah, I don't like either of them on the highway. You you find yourself when you when you're off on the road now. You yeah, maybe I needed to figure out what my options really were. Um, so I really, a lot of it starts with understanding what my options are. And then uh, when you start evaluating those options, how do those map against your expectations? I think expectation management is a really important thing in terms of if you are a company that has, um, if you're coming, coming from a highly customized, highly tailored software environment, and I want to jump into ERP, um, there's a big leap right there that you're making culturally from a system from an out of the box system to going from to an out of the box system from a highly customized tailorable system. Uh, that leap is huge in itself. Understanding that, am I picking a software version that is uh, is it a huge jump or is it something that's sort of falling in between that I can uh, make that migration kind of partway there to a nice middle road. Um, because if you take a direction that's that's kind of the extreme, you might find kind of shock across the company of of how you make that change. So understanding what you those options really have in terms of their impact on the organization, I think really is the 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 thing you have to live with after you've signed the check. 
Yeah, makes perfect sense. And then last question I'll ask you: what what big um, what big trends do you see? You know, what what what's the big trend or two you see happening in the cloud space in, in the next three or five years? I think the deployment of services to browser-based uh, clients is a really big deal. Uh, that has been something that I think has been in the works for a long time. And I've seen a lot of cust- uh, vendors start to get over the hump with these and be able to put out fully uh, browser-based versions of their application that have uh, a much better comparable uh, offering in terms of what they offer. But not only that, um, a lot of uh, legacy applications of just the last generation were all, uh, we might say, WinForm-based in terms of their construction uh, using at the application layer. And using more web-based protocols, more JavaScript-based protocols allows for a lot of different kind of paradigmatic shifts in terms of how data is presented to the user. So it's not just a matter of I'm moving it into a browser. It's it's the movement into the browser allows now for a whole different paradigm of I can get this kind of data rolled up and presented in a much more uh, real-time way. I can more dynamically uh, configure how my uh, work experience is going to be. Uh, the WinForm had tended to be a very kind of structured, here's what you have to work with, work with it. Whereas web designs, more often they build these with the assumption that I'm going to have some sort of grid or tile view that I'm going to allow you to come and plug and play what matters to you so that when you're uh, entering uh, data at this point, you're looking at some indicators here that are telling you how well your factory is doing, how well your your work area is doing, if uh, exceptions are jumping up that you need to manage. And that's, you know, the ability to be refreshing those things and keeping those in real time. Uh, that whole architecture allows, I think, for a lot of uh, really neat tools to be deployed to the users. And they're not just neat tools. I think they have some true value to them. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The web browser piece is is a fascinating one too. It seems like that's where it, it makes sense that that's where we'd be headed right now. So that's that's really good right. stuff. So, uh, real quick as we wrap up, how do people get a hold of you? What's what's your website address? Uh, maybe repeat your name just so they can find you on LinkedIn. Yeah, Brad Feeks, F E A K E S. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my company is Estes Group, uh, and our website is e s t e s g r p dot com. Okay, well, thanks very much for being on the show today, Brad. Great discussion. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to talk a little bit more about cloud, um, unpack some of the things that we talked about here with Brad. And we're actually going to segue into our discussion of the top 10 enterprise technology or ERP systems for 2022, which just so happens to include many cloud providers. So we're going to talk about that when we take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com.
Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 25. Thanks for listening. You can find us every every Wednesday on YouTube and all the usual audio podcast platforms. And uh, so we just had the discussion with Brad about cloud and managed services, which uh, I don't know about you, but I learned a ton in that conversation and some of the responses he provided. What, what were some of your thoughts or what are some of the things that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, that was super technical. And for someone that, um, like myself, that's not too familiar with the cloud, it was really helpful because I will be completely honest, I wasn't even really sure what the cloud is. Like, you know, I I understand the concept, but the way that he put it specifically with his bumper sticker analogy, right? The cloud is actually just someone else working on your computer type of thing, um, helped me really understand what that meant. And I had no idea that there were so many options when it comes to not only cloud services, but just options when it comes to how you utilize and manage your data. Um, and I think that the thing that I would kind of ask you is, is do you see companies a lot kind of in that hybrid space of not ready to completely go to the cloud, but like interested cloud curious, if you will, you know, um, because if, you know, I was a business owner just saying, here you go, um, to someone else with my data would be really scary, you know? So. Yeah. And that's, that's a key thing is there are a lot of people that are scared and there's still a lot of trepidation about moving to the cloud, despite the fact that, you know, cloud providers are arguably more secure, they're more stable, it's more reliable. Um, but at the same time, you know, as we talked about, there's also potential performance issues because now you're not, there's not that immediate physical um, location that can in, can facilitate a faster, you know, faster performance in some cases. And certainly if you're in a remote area or you have uh, unreliable uh, internet co- connectivity, that can create difficulties as well. But setting that aside, um, there's a lot of perceived fear about things that aren't necessarily real. So things like uh, cyber attacks, which are real, but, you know, you're more likely to have a breach on your, you know, within your own IT department versus a big provider that has specialists that that's all they do is make sure they don't get hacked. Um, so I, but I think the other thing too, is a couple things. There's a couple things at play that are fueling that hybrid path that he talks about. One is the, um, the lack of maturity of a lot of the cloud providers. So a lot of the big software vendors that are providing cloud solutions simply don't have the capabilities and the maturity of their product yet because they're still rewriting a lot of these programs for the cloud. So they've taken their on-premise and they're trying to replicate that functionality in the cloud and that oftentimes requires a rewrite. So that almost by definition requires a lot of vendors, like for example, uh, Oracle, we found this to be true. Uh, Infor is another one. Those are just two examples. And actually even SAP and to some degree, uh, to some degree Microsoft as well. Some of these big software vendors have some decent cloud capabilities, but then they've got other areas where they just aren't ready. So you end up, if you buy their solution, you end up having to have a a hybrid solution. Um, And then the other factor at play is there's just going to be certain parts of your business where you are more willing to, or more willing or able to defer to some of the limitations that cloud provides more from a functionality and flexibility perspective. So, uh, you know, in other words, especially if you're talking about a, a software as a service or multi-tenant model, like we talked about with Brad, where you you have even more limited flexibility, that's certain parts of your business are going to lend itself well to that. And there's certain parts of your business where you either can't or you don't want to uh, adapt or just defer to what those limitations are. So that's another dynamic that sort of plays into this whole hybrid model. So I think there's just so many forces at play that 
are leading a lot of organizations. I, I don't know of many, if any, organizations that have gone 100% to the cloud yet just because it's not feasible yet. It may be, you know, five or 10 years or whatever, but right now it's not for most organizations. Yeah, yeah. From just, you know, a, a baseline understanding, if you had questions about moving to the cloud or understanding what that might look like for your organization, knowing that sometimes when you're reaching out to a cloud vendor, they go directly into sales mode, right? And they're trying to sell you. So, so what would be kind of your recommendation on the first step if you um, wanted to learn about what that might look like as an option for your organization? Who, who would you reach out to or how would you start to kind of research that? Yeah, I mean, you can certainly reach out to us. I mean, Third Stage is an organization that can help navigate those, uh, those decisions and help you define a roadmap to move to or at least start moving to the cloud um, as part of a longer term transformation journey. Um, that's one option. Um, you can certainly reach out to the different cloud providers. I, I think the big lesson, though, is if you're gonna if you're gonna reach out to cloud providers, I mean, first of all, make sure you you understand what it is you're looking for and what your specs are. Because as we talked about, with Brad, there's it's more than just can you host X amount of you know can you do you have the bandwidth to host you know X volume of transaction or Y you know uh, volume of applications that we need you to host. It's there's a lot more to it. You, you got into all the stuff around infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, and a lot of other stuff that you really want to think about, you know, how does my cloud provider provide those types of services or not? And what what are my priorities and what's the best option for me? So really just going through a, a formal evaluation, just like you would with with a, uh, a a big ERP or HCM or CRM decision, you're, you're probably going to go through a, you should be going through a big uh, evaluation that that objectively looks at all your options and not just the big options too, by the way, it's also those the smaller options, by the way, too, can provide even better uh, solutions in some cases. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that is a great segue into your new video that just dropped, right? The top systems of 2022, which are, you know, some of our most popular videos and a, a great kind of overview of just the system. So I'm I'm curious is how did um, the cloud-based systems or maybe the more cloud-heavy systems fall in your ranking? And first, maybe just explain to us, how do you rank these videos for those of us that, that may not know? Yeah, it's a great question. So it's, it's a difficult ranking to do every year. I love doing it. It's a lot of fun. It gets a lot of attention and people that love the video. And that is by far our most popular video so far was last year's uh, you know top ERP systems, which had um, close to 200,000 views, or at least at the time of recording this, it had close to 200,000 views. So um, so it's, it's a lot of fun to do, but it's difficult because there's so many variables that go into it. So what we do is we work as a team. So third stage has grown quite a bit since our last ranking. So we got a broader set of inputs from our team to understand what are some of the observations they're having with experience with clients, evaluating, collecting, and implementing these different solutions. So we took a look at all the different systems in the marketplace, and we had a number of criteria we looked at, such as um, overall functionality, um, total cost of ownership, uh, average ROI, the flexibility of the solutions, uh, the availability of resources to, to help you implement the solution. Um, we also have an internal database we use to help clients through the evaluation process. And we use that quantitative data, which is very objective, to compare different systems in different functional areas. So it's a lot of different data we use to arrive at a general ranking, which is cross-industry, cross-geography, um, and, you know, certainly 
every any organization with specific needs is going to have a different top 10 list, if you will. But this is meant to be a very broad, uh, generic overview. And so the cloud solutions did well. I mean, if just looking at the list here, um, you know, there aren't any strictly on-premise systems left in our top 10 list. So, um, and in fact, I don't recall, if, I don't even recall if last year there were any uh, on-premise, but every provider we have in here is providing some sort of cloud option. Um, so I would say, and in fact, I would, I would also say that even if you're not, even if you're looking outside our top 10 list and you extend your search to the next 20 or 50 vendors beyond that, I would say 80, 90% of them are probably going to either have cloud only options or some sort of hybrid or, um, the option to go either cloud or on-premise. So the days of pure on-premise solutions, I think are, are slowly dying off. Yeah, definitely. Um, really shows kind of the evolution and, and the market share of, of cloud systems. And, and just so we understand that like if, if I am N4 or anything like that and reach out to you and say, I want to be on your top 10 list, then what do you do? Do you evaluate them more heavily or you, this is just completely independent to third stage? Can you, can you take us yeah. through that a little bit? Yeah, great point. Being the, the marketing person you are, you, you hit a, a very important point that I missed, which is this is 100% technology agnostic it's an independent ranking there's no vendor influence over how we how we rank these and so um, to answer your question we do often get uh, vendors that reach out and say hey how can we do better um, on our on your list in fact I just got um, even before this video dropped I just got last week uh, two or three emails from different vendors saying hey we saw that we landed number whatever on your list we think we should be higher and then another one who I'd never heard of said, I think we should be in your top 10 list. And I had never heard of the, <laughs> the provider. So chances are they won't be in the top 10 anytime soon. But um, yeah, so there's, you know, there these big vendors have whole departments dedicated to what they call um, uh, influencing selection consultants or influencing other, you know, industry players. And we don't just ignore them and not talk to them. We, we certainly want to learn about their products, make sure we understand the roadmap and stuff. But their whole job is to try and influence people like us to try and show that they're the best thing since sliced bread, which yeah. we yeah. try our best yeah. not, to, not to succumb to. Yeah, right. Well, thank you for explaining that. And, and so for the cloud, I know you had mentioned one of your data points is cost. Are on your list, are the cloud systems, do they tend to be the more expensive ones? Or what does that look like? as far as um, budgeting? Well, I would say um, that I have a pretty strong opinion on this and, and the opinion isn't just what I, what I think or what I want to believe, it's based on data that we see from actual clients. And that is that cloud systems are generally, for the most part, not cheaper than on-premise. And I have a feeling that just about every cloud vendor listening to this right now is gonna strongly disagree and they're gonna put comments below saying, I'm full of it, I have no idea what I'm talking about. But it's absolutely true. It is pure sales spin when they say that you're going to save money in the cloud. You, you do not save money. Yes, you're going to save money on not having to have an infrastructure. So you might not have as many servers or you might not need as much IT staff to support it. But guess what? You're going to pay the vendor more to do that for you. So, yep, you're saving money over here, but you're shifting money over here. And now you've just increased your annual spend with this one vendor, whatever vendors you might be using. And it's just you're just shifting the cost from one place to another. It's a lot like... In some ways, it's like leasing versus buying a car where, you know, you, you lease a, you buy a car. Yes, you have this big upfront cost, but then longer term, at least for a certain amount of time, you have a lower cost just for maintenance and gas and stuff like that. But when you lease a car, you have, you know, a higher payment that never really goes away unless you get rid of the car. 
And so that's a lot like the cloud. You're going to pay more per year, and that, that is never going to go away. So after five or seven years, we found that to be about the break-even where the good news is you're not paying as much money right up front in year one with cloud, but you're paying it long term. So after five or seven years, generally, that tends to be where the threshold is to where you're actually paying more. Now, you could argue that you're going to get more value out of that added cost. So sure, maybe you pay more for that cloud solution and you get some sort of benefit in terms of better functionality, um, you know, constant upgrades and updates to your software. So you always have the newest and greatest, but that's not saving money. So when a cloud provider tells you you're going to save money and to budget less, don't, you just don't believe it uh, because it's rarely true. I don't know that I've, I, I couldn't give you a specific example right now of a case where a client actually in reality saved money. I've, I see vendors try to put together business cases that, that have some hocus pocus numbers that's, that try to suggest that you're going to save money, but generally that doesn't materialize. Gotcha. Wow, that's really that's really interesting and, and super important to know as a company, right? Um, I wonder if there's um, like a dark horse on your list that got on there because of their cloud solution or one that you were like, I don't know if I would have put them on there if they didn't have uh, an innovative option when it comes to cloud or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that there's a dark horse that has that is on here because of their cloud solutions specifically. In fact, I would I would say that the cloud solutions for many of these vendors are actually holding them back from being higher rated higher in that it isn't because they're in the cloud. It has nothing to do with whether or not, you know, we think the cloud's viable or not. It's more what I was talking about before, where the solutions just aren't as developed for the cloud yet. In five years, this will probably be an obsolete comment and we won't even be having this conversation. But where we are right now with the solutions where they are right now, a lot of these cloud solutions, like if you look at um in the you know the the big vendors, for example, like SAP S4 HANA moved up a little bit. They moved, I, I think they were number six last year, and they moved up to number four this year. Um, and I think the biggest thing holding back S4 HANA is the fact that there's so much that they just haven't f- fixed yet or, or baked yet in terms of, uh, or baked into the functionality. Same with Oracle ERP Cloud, which is one ranking higher, which is number three. That did move up slightly because they are addressing those issues, but they're still not where they need to be. And they if you're a legacy SAP or Oracle customer that is using one of the old on-premise systems and now you're looking to go to the cloud, you just have to recognize you are probably going to take a step back in the short term for functionality. And that's, that's what kind of keeps them lower. And then, but then on the other side, you have uh, Oracle NetSuite. Um, I'm not going to tell you who's number two versus number one, because it's, uh, it's pretty interesting, but the, the top two, I'll, I'll just tell you who the top two are. It's Oracle NetSuite, Microsoft D365 round out the top uh, four from the ones I just mentioned. And Oracle NetSuite is the only one in that top four. Uh, in fact, it's only one of two providers in the entire top 10 that is a pure cloud solution where that's all they do is, is cloud. In fact, they're multi-tenant cloud, so they're, they're SaaS. And so, um, but the difference with NetSuite is they've always been in the cloud. So their whole solution has been built for the cloud. It, it's not like they're playing catch up. You know, they've been doing this for 20 years. So whether, whether or not it's the right functionality for you is a different story, but the general functionality they have is pretty well developed. And then um, same with, uh, you know, D365 is still making that that shift uh, to the cloud as well. But I think they're a little bit further along than, than SAP and Oracle in terms of bringing those capabilities to the cloud. Right, right. And when you talk about those multi-tenant and SaaS solutions, I know so much of our audience and a lot of third stage clients are international. Did that at all affect kind of your decision-making when it came to the rankings of these systems? 
It did, yeah. In fact, we we tried a bit harder to include the multinational view this year. Last year we started to, and we we had some some more uh, broader international players. I mean, certainly you know SAP, Oracle, Microsoft. That's sort of a universal solution set that isn't you know prevalent in most countries. Uh, but you have some solutions like, for example, um, two that stand out here are IFS and Odoo. Um, and those are both uh, European-based companies, but it's not just that they're based in Europe. It's just that um, it, it's just that they don't have a, a global a footprint yet, or as, as broad of a global footprint as some of the other providers. But in the regions where they're strong, they're really strong, and they're really well. Uh, they have really good market penetration, and they have good adoption, and that sort of thing. So, so do and IFS are probably the two, you know, most call it, you know, international. Uh, internationally based um, vendors. Excellent. Well, so are you seriously not going to tell us what number one is, even if I give you like a drum roll? <laughs> I could. I'll, how about this? I'll tell you, it's not the same as last year's number one. It's, it's a there's a there's a. Oh a, wow! A okay, that's a big shift. Yeah, there's there's a shift, and then there's uh, what I'll tell you too, is that two products fell out of our top ten. Um, so last year. Last year we had Workday and ServiceNow had both been in our top ten. They both fell out of the top ten. Uh, the reason ServiceNow did is just because it, you know, it's not. It never really was a full, complete ERP system. I mean, people try to use it as an ERP system, and there's just other emerging ERP systems that overtook um, ServiceNow. Uh, Workday, same thing. Although they are a little bit more of a, they're becoming more of a true ERP system. They started off as an ATM system at its core but they're starting to add financials and other sorts of um, ERPS types of capabilities. Um, but the reason they fell out is because of uh, a pattern of implementation problems that we're seeing in the industry. There's been more lawsuits and failures involving the product. So that was a sort of a ding against them that, that dropped them down. So those two dropped out of the top 10 and then the new entrants into the top 10 were um, Acumatica, which is a um, very strong in the, the manufacturing distribution space. Uh, they're sort of an up and coming vendor that we've just seen a, a lot of clients that really like the product. And the other one, what was the other one? Oh, Odoo. Odoo is the other one that wasn't in the top 10 last year. Um, it's an open source solution. It's sort of a non-traditional solution that's not as well known, but it was in our top 10 for small businesses last year. But this year we've seen the adoption rate globally pick up enough in the general functionality and, and just the customer satisfaction with the product has increased enough to to, uh, to kind of bump it into the top 10. So I could share those two changes there. I'll tell you the top three, the top three and four actually just shifted around quite a bit. And then the others just sort of, they weren't stable. They, there's a little bit of movement in the bottom five as well. So. Well, well, I know I myself and our audience are excited to check out that video, um, most certainly. Um, and then you usually do, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you'll be doing some industry-specific, business size, those types of things. Will you do um, a cloud-specific top 10 list? I, I don't know. I mean, we'll, and the reason I hesitate is just because a cloud is almost becoming a irrelevant word in that right. yeah. you know, so many of these solutions are just, they just are cloud. And so it's, if I were to do, like, for example, if I were just, just to choose the best cloud solutions, I suppose I could look at you know, exclude the ones that are more hybrid, you know, like the, the oracles of the world or the, uh, uh, what's the other one, like the Infor of the world where they, they have kind of some cloud, some on-prem still. If I did that, sure, then this, this top 10 would look a bit different. We, so we could do that, but 
the ones I know we'll do in the shorter term would be top 10 ERP systems for small business, um, top 10 for manufacturing distribution, and also top 10 uh, CRM and HCM systems. Those are kind of the, that rounds out our, you know, our, our most popular series and, and the ones that people seem to be craving the most. So we may get to cloud, but we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, you're the marketing person. You might have to tell me if, if you, if you, if you disagree or think otherwise in our, in well, our I think we should, we should let our audience tell us if you want to see that video, please let us know. Um, and um, if you have any interest or specific questions, we'd love to hear from you, but you know, thank you, Eric, for taking us through that, that list. I know, I'm sure we'll have lots of questions about it. Um, and Eric always puts his email on um, all of our information when we do publish via podcasts or on YouTube. So please feel free to reach out to him directly. Um, he's very hands-on when it comes to answering these. So, and we have a lot of cloud experts on our team too, um, even cloud experts in specific industries, those types of things. So um, please feel free to, to reach out. But I learned a ton today. I don't know that we've had a ground control episode where I learned so much um, from from Brad and you and team. So thank you so much. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for being here. And that's what we're trying to do. By the way, I'm trying to step up our game to where you know if I'm learning a lot or if I'm bringing on a guest that I I want to know more from or know more about, um, I figure that's a good litmus test that the the rest of the audience may may agree with that. In fact, next week um, on our uh, next week's show, we are going to have. Uh, the authors of a book that I just happen to have sitting right here that maybe I'll give a little teaser of who, who this is going to be, but there are two authors that have just put out a book um, called building a digital future. And I think that's coming up backwards on my, um, on my screen there, but it's uh, Lippy Sarkar and Vinny Banzel who put together a, a book called building a digital future. And it's actually, it's a, it's a fascinating book because it's actually focused on, Microsoft D365, but the content here is it's it's transferable to really any sort of uh, digital transformation. So I'm excited to have those two guests on the show just to talk about the book a little bit more and um, talk about you know some of their findings in there as as they're oh, writing. Absolutely. The book. So, that so that's just another great. example. Yeah. So there's some great guests throughout the upcoming episodes, and again every every Wednesday you find new episodes here on YouTube and all the audio podcast platforms. So um, yeah. So thanks for everyone for listening, and thanks for being here today, Kyler. Look forward to, to next week's episode. Hope you all have a great day in the meantime, and we will see you next time on Transformation Ground Control.